There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. What is the secret and what is the law of attraction? Those are terms you hear quite often, and yet very few people really understand what is meant. The answers to those two questions are going to help stabilize your belief system and establish you in the truth. If I were to define the law of attraction, I could go right to Wikipedia, and there's an excellent presentation there of the real meaning of that term. The law of attraction is a new thought spiritual belief that positive or negative thoughts bring positive or negative experiences into a person's life. The belief is based on the ideas that people and their thoughts were made from pure energy and that a process of like energy attracting like energy exists in the universe, through which a person can improve their health, their wealth, and personal relationships. There is no empirical scientific evidence supporting the law of attraction, and that's why many people consider it pseudoscience, which means a false claim to be scientific. Advocates generally combine affirmations, positive affirmations, and creative visualization to replace limiting and self-destructive negative thoughts that go on in our minds with more empowered and positive thoughts. A key component of the philosophy is the idea that in order to effectively change a person's negative thinking, he or she must feel through creative visualization that the desired changes have already occurred. So you visualize it as if it's already happened. The combination of positive thought and positive emotion is believed to allow a person to attract positive experiences and opportunities by achieving resonance with the proposed law of energy. Is that true? Or is it a mixture of true and false? Or is it altogether false? We're going to explore. What is the source of the law of attraction? Where did this come from anyway? Well, the most dominant source is a woman named Rhonda Byrne, at least in our generation, in our age. She was the author of initially a video and later on a book called The Secret. In 2006, she released the video, and in it she heavily promoted this thing called the Law of Attraction by interviewing many guests who subscribed to it. Soon after, Oprah helped push it 
into a societal megatrend. It was like a tsunami wave going across the world, both nationally and globally. It became a real focus of attention in the media. A lot of books were written about it. Many people, including Christians and even ministers, bought into it. And so it needs to be carefully scrutinized to find out if it aligns with biblical truth. And of course, I embrace a biblical worldview, and so I'm not going to accept anything unless it lines up perfectly with the written Word of God. So the primary source in our era of the secret and the law of attraction is this Australian woman who was involved in television production called Rhonda Byrne. Her name was Rhonda Byrne, but she got her insights from a book that was given to her called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles, and it was published in 1910. And her daughter gave that to her during a time of real personal trauma, which I can appreciate uh, to a certain degree that she was engulfed in negativity and needed to somehow fight her way to the surface like a drowning person. And she reached out to this as an answer. So I understand that sometimes people are groping for answers and some things seem to work. And so they plant their feet right in that and say, this is absolute truth. This is all I need to know. And Waddles in his book, The Science of Getting Rich, said, the universe wants you to have everything you want to have. The universe wants you to have everything you want to have. Hmm. Settle your mind on that for just a moment. Waddles also said, man can form things in his thought, and by impressing his thought upon formless substance, he can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. That's quite a grandiose claim. Other writers in that period that were new thought writers promoted the law of attraction also. Now, another individual that had a real influence on Rhonda Burns is a woman who claims to be a channeler, Esther Hicks. And she channeled a collection of non-physical entities. It was like a multi-personality entity that was a combination of many entities named Abraham. And by channeling this same concept of the law of attraction, she verified that it was a higher esoteric mystery that was being unveiled to those who would dare to believe. However, channeling is condemned by the Bible, and I'll give you the scripture on that later on. And I don't believe God condemned channeling in order to withhold from his people a valid and valuable supernatural experience. I believe he condemned it because he did not want them to be deceived by a false experience. Let's go on. So what are the five foundational teachings of the secret and the law of attraction? I need to really build a foundation before I respond to it. Number one, which we've already covered, is the power of thought. The primary idea promoted by the secret and by the law of attraction is that thoughts become things. You can narrow it down to those three words. 
thoughts become things. And if you repeat certain ideas in your mind and in your speech, often enough, consistently enough, the universe will respond and send you what you have imagined or what you have declared. Let me give you a quote by Rhonda Burns. She said, when you focus on what you want, you are changing the vibration of the atoms of that thing. And you are causing it or you are causing it to vibrate to you. The reason you are the most trans, uh, the most powerful transmission tower in the universe is because you have been given the power to focus your energy through your thoughts and alter the vibrations of what you are focused on and then magnetically draw it to you. So it's really mind over matter. That's a very complicated way of, of saying that you're executing mind over matter. Is that really true? We'll discover it in just a few minutes. Number two, the second foundational belief in the secret and the law of attraction is that whatever happens in your life, that covers everything, whatever happens in your life, you have attracted it. A very well-known teacher of the secret, Joe Vitale, and a very well-known proponent of the law of attraction said this, everything that surrounds you right now in your life, including the things you're complaining about, you've attracted. Now, I know at first blush, that's going to be something that you hate to hear. You're going to immediately say, I didn't attract the car accident. I didn't attract this particular client who gives me a hard time. I didn't particularly attract the debt. And I'm here to be a little bit in your face, he said, and say, yes, you did attract it. This is one of the hardest concepts to get, but once you've accepted it, it's life transforming. Now, let me stop and address that for just a moment. Is the starving baby in some African nation experiencing a drought, attracting starvation to itself? Because if this is a law, it's a law that covers everything. Did the Holocaust victims during Hitler's terror reign attract to themselves the horrible execution that they suffered in the gas chambers? Really? You think so? Or what about the Titanic? If anything would be true, the opposite would be true about those on the Titanic. They thought that ship was invincible. And if there was a dominant thought in all of their minds, it was not fear of being struck by an iceberg and sinking, but the jubilant attitude everybody had about being a participant in this, uh, in this uh, historical event, this uh, this large Titanic ship that was like no other that had ever been made and being a part of the maiden voyage. So it was mostly, I would say, 99.99999% positive thoughts. So how in the world did they attract that disaster, if Joe Vitale is right? Number three, one of the basic beliefs, foundational beliefs of the secret and the law of attraction is the nature of ultimate reality 
being something quite different than the biblical view of a personal God comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the secret, the terms God and the universe are somewhat interchangeable. And God is often referred to as ultimate reality in an impersonal way, like a power or an energy that can be manipulated or controlled. And if the universe, and this is a very important thought, so please listen closely. If the universe in its entirety can respond to you, and if the universe can have your back, and if the universe can send you what you desire, then I would dare to say smaller parts of the universe could do the same. Because if the universe, which is just a a material thing, it's not spiritual. It's not impregnated or saturated with the presence of God. The universe is just a material cosmos. If it can respond to you, smaller parts of the universe can respond to you. Why not generate positive thoughts toward the moon and expect the moon to produce some kind of thing miraculously in your life? Or maybe even get closer to home and go stand in front of a tree in your backyard and emit all kinds of positive energy toward the tree so that the tree can grant you what you think about. Well, I know you would consider that a little absurd and maybe even bordering on or going on into insanity to think a tree could grant you what you wish. But what difference is there between a tree and the moon and the entire universe being able to do such a thing? Number four A foundational belief of the secret and the law of attraction is the idea that God is subservient to man. Because in the book, The Secret, and I read all through it so I know exactly what it teaches, God is compared to, or the universe is compared to, a genie. Now, a genie is trapped inside of a lamp and is under the control of whoever rubs the lamp and then duty-bound to fulfill any wishes that are expressed and to compare ultimate reality, to compare God to a genie is to place God in a subservient position to those who learn the secret and know how to execute its mystery and make it a reality. Number five. The final thing I wanted to bring out about the foundational belief of the secret is that human beings are exalted to a God status. Human beings are exalted to a God status. The philosophy of the secret is based on the idea that we are God. And that's the automatic outcome of a pantheistic worldview. The word pantheism means all is God. It comes from two root words, Pan, which means all, and theism, which means God. All is God and God is all. So if the universe is an emanation of God, not a creation, there's a big difference between the two concepts, then the universe as a whole has a divine essence. It is filled with this impersonal force referred to as ultimate reality or God. So If that be true, then the tree is God, the cat is God, the flowers are manifestations of God, and you are God, I am God, every human being is God. So it's based on a pantheistic view of the makeup of the universe. 
listen to what Rhonda Burns says, and this is as in your face with this concept as you can be. She said, you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificence. You are the creator and you are creation. The, you are the creator of the creation of you on this planet. You are the creator and you are the creation of you on this planet. That's a very bloated self-assessment, I believe. And this may sound mean. It's not intended to be mean, but I like to see Rhonda Burns create one blade of grass. I like to see her create a speck of dust that doesn't exist. If you're the creator and I'm the creator, let's see some evidence. And if that's impossible, then why think that the other is true. Why I think that this assessment of the nature of human beings is correct. Now, what's right about the law of attraction? I like to be fair in assessing any doctrine, any concept, any theology. And so I'm not only going to bring out what I think is wrong, I'm going to bring out what I believe is right or partially right or a mixture of right and wrong. Number one, maintaining a positive mindset can contribute to a person's success in life. Absolutely. The Bible teaches that we need to bring every thought into captivity. Why? Because if we're constantly degrading ourselves, condemning ourselves, berating ourselves in our minds, and trying to convince ourselves we are weak, we are powerless, we are incapable, we are insufficient, then all this negativity in our minds can lock us inside of a prison of a false reality that we create for ourselves by our own thinking. Yes, that's true to a certain degree. That's true to a certain degree. There is a fine line between being in agreement with God's word and trying to manipulate a sovereign God to do your bidding with some kind of mystical, esoteric formula. And so I believe that you can throw the baby out with the bathwater and you can guard the sovereignty of God so much that you never dare speak anything that could be labeled a positive affirmation. And yet, Philippians 4.13 very boldly says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If Paul was trying to guard the sovereignty of God and never assert himself beyond what was right for us to do as human beings, then he would have said, I hope God makes me strong enough to endure the battles of life. I may make it, and then again I may collapse in weakness. But instead, very strongly, very positively, very Affirmatively, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not wrong to have a positive mindset and a positive confession if it lines up with the Word of God and you're coming into agreement with the written Word. And there's plenty of Scripture that affirms that. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, 
Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. One version says, and another says, meditate on these things. That's Philippians 4, 8. And so it's very important to win the battle of the mind because that is where the enemy and where your own human fallen nature rears up strongholds of negative thinking. That's why 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Notice it says bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So it's not just saying whatever you think is going to become a manifested reality. You may want to think yourself into a state of being rich without lining up with the Word of God in every part of your life. Well, then you're on a journey of self-deception. So all of this has got to be balanced out, and I'm going to balance it out more as we proceed. But notice the strongholds that need to be torn down are not attributed to satanic powers, although demons can get involved. I don't believe the strongholds are primarily demonic. The strongholds are primarily negative thinking patterns that are built up over a lifetime. And there's a number of reasons what people go through as children. They may go through horrible abuse and it just batters them mentally and emotionally. You have to recover from that by making sure your thoughts line up with the Word of God. Like you've been through hellish experiences in life, but dare to grit your teeth and say, all things work together for good to those who love God. Then you're coming into agreement with the Word and somehow you can apply that pain to your life and something beautiful can result from it. God gives beauty for ashes. So it is important to align your speech with God's word. And not only that, Jesus took it a step further when he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and say, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will obey your voice. Now, this is where some Christians get out of the boat or step off of the train. Because they think, again, that it's robbing God of his sovereignty for you and I to speak with authority. But especially if we're under the inspiration of God and we speak with authority, we're not speaking out of our own will, but out of his will. I don't find any example of someone getting healed in the book of Acts where a person prayed with a kind of weak approach, saying, oh God, if it be your will, let this crippled man walk again. Peter very bluntly and strongly said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That was a commanding tone. That was the kind of faith that Jesus was talking about when he said, faith as a grain of mustard seed can speak to the mountain." not begging God, 
but commanding the mountain to move out of the way. So we can't throw out the truth for fear of entering into deception. We've got to somehow balance the two and find the right and correct view to embrace. Now, I hear a lot of people use this phrase. A lot of people wrongly quote this. They say, we're believers, so we can call those things that are not as though they were. Well, yes and no. I used to say that quite often, but then I realized I was misapplying and partially quoting a scripture. It's actually Romans 4.17, and it's talking about God, not about us. It's talking about how God named Abram, Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And by naming him Abraham, God was calling those things that are not as though they were. Because to call him Abraham was to call him a father of a multitude when he had no children at all. Well, can we do that also? Well, God went on to say that Abraham was not weak in faith, So he considered not his own body now dead, neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. So I can imagine, I can imagine Abraham telling his friends, his associates, Sarah, and all those around him, we're going to have a multitude of offspring. Why do you say that, Abraham? Because God told me. Well, in a sense, Abraham was in agreement with God, so he too was calling that that was not as though it were. So it's a very sensitive combination there that you've got to make sure is is fused together. It's got to be a true word from God, and then you can repeat it. And then you can cooperate with God in that kind of bold demonstration of faith. Praise God. Many people who are involved in the secret use the term co-creators with God or that we can create our own reality. I draw back from the use of those phrases because I think they can be easily misconstrued. Although, Every human being has three layers of creativity, natural, soulish, and spiritual. In the natural, even a person who's not in a relationship with God, if they're a normal, natural human being, uh, a man has uh, potency and a woman is uh, able to have children, then uh, they can participate in this creative process that God started in the beginning when he said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave man in the natural, in his body, the ability to procreate. And again, human beings can do that even if they're in direct rebellion against God because that's a gift God has given to every human being. Soulishly also, people have the ability to create ideas, to create goals in their lives and then to implement certain things to achieve those goals. And those persons don't necessarily have to be in a relationship with God, and God doesn't necessarily have to be involved. They can build great businesses, corporations. In fact, we have evidence of people who have just about global control 
uh, uh, businesses all around the world that claim to be atheist. Why? Because God's gifted all human beings with creativity in a soulish way, and the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And if you uh, use your mind to create some kind of unique idea, and then your emotions, you keep them positive and passionate about achieving that idea, then great corporations have been built, have been, quote-unquote, created without God's influence. So, yes, there is an enormous amount of creativity in people who are not even in a relationship with God. It's part of the beautiful blessing that God passed on to Adam and Eve that has gotten perverted altogether. But what about spiritual creativity? I believe if you're born again, you get a new spirit infused with God's spirit. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And often God speaks to you certain things that you're to achieve with your life, certain things that you're to do. He puts vision inside of you. And you can become, and I say this in a very qualified sense, a co-creator of that vision coming to pass by implementing certain things you feel led, you feel impressed to do to bring God's purpose to a place of fulfillment. God's not going to do it all for you, and you can't do it all without God. It's a marriage of your influence and God's influence together. And so, yes, we are participating in the creative process on three different levels. And that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote Timothy and said, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might wage a good warfare. So Paul was saying that these prophetic words were given to Timothy, and this is before the Bible existed. So the written word in its entirety wasn't accessible. But Timothy had a word from God, a prophecy that apparently came from Paul. And he warred a good warfare by repeating that prophetic word. That happened with our daughter, our daughter, Destiny Hope. We were told when Elizabeth was five months pregnant with her that she would have spina bifida and that she had cretinism, which is severe retardation. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but Elizabeth heard the audible voice of God say, your daughter will dance on the streets of Jerusalem. The doctor said she'd never walk. We fought with that prophetic word. We confessed it over and over again, as well as the written word, a scripture where the Bible says the Lord will perfect that which concerns you. And we would say that hundreds of times. It is written, the Lord will perfect that which concerns us. And when she was born, she was born perfect. I believe it had a lot to do with fighting the good fight of faith by attaching our faith to the prophetic word that Elizabeth received. Now, let me bring it to a close. I need to close this. I know this has been a lengthy teaching, but this is a very important subject. What's wrong with the secret and with the law of attraction? Well, I would dare to say that maybe, just maybe, this should be called the law of detraction, not attraction, because the word detract means to take away from. Uh, to remove from something the quality, the value, or the reputation of that thing. Why would I call it the law of detraction? Because it takes away from the elements of truth and fundamental 
principles that are supposed to bring human beings to wholeness. It removes from the truth enough to try and validate itself without telling the whole truth. So it's the law of detraction. Not, in fact, it could be called the law of distraction because it distracts people from going after the thing that would really give them wholeness and completion spiritually. Is it the same as the law of sowing and reaping? No. In fact, let me quote that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And he who sows to the Spirit, capital letter S, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Many people who try and utilize the law of attraction do it to indulge in the flesh, which is the absolute opposite of what the law of sowing and reaping talks about. They go after extravagant wealth without any thought of uh, the will of God for their lives. In fact, I'm really getting ahead of myself because number three, the secret and the law of attraction promote the idea of success without surrender. I've never read not one line in the book called The Secret about surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ or submitting yourself to God. It's all about God submitting to you. It's the absolute opposite. Quite often people use that verse that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, as a justification for the idea of thoughts becoming things. But again, that's been taken out of context. Because in Proverbs, it says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. But it goes on to say, uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. So it's not talking about thoughts becoming things. It's talking about people being hypocrites. That somebody is saying, eat, drink, enjoy yourself, be a part of the party, But in his heart, he's not really with you. And what the scripture is warning is, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not the facade that he puts on has nothing to do with the law of attraction. Next, one of the primary sources of the secret is outlawed in the Bible, as I mentioned at the beginning. And that is the idea of contacting familiar spirits, or now it's called channeling. And in Deuteronomy 18, verse 11, God said that those who consult with a spiritist or one who consults with a familiar spirit are are indulging in something that is an abomination to the Lord. And he went on to say that all those who do those things are abominations to the Lord. You should read the whole passage, Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. Number five, the secret and the law of attraction do not really address, and this is one of my most important points I've saved for last. They do not address the idea of multiple persons competing for the same thing. What if there's a hundred people using the law of attraction and they're all trying to secure the same job or the same material object or the same uh, goal in life, uh, a specific goal in life? then does the universe pick out the one that thought 101 times instead of 100 times? Or what about when the thought 
process has to manipulate and control another person into making a decision that they ordinarily would not want to do. Then it becomes witchcraft. No wonder Rabbi Benjamin Blesch says, the secret simply doesn't work for every good reason. God wasn't foolish enough to create a world blindly responsive to human cravings. And it really is witchcraft. In fact, one of the subsequent books that Rhonda Burns wrote is titled Magic. The Magic. And it's talking about the law of attraction. And magic, M-A-J-I-C-K, is just uh, what Wicca teaches. It's uh, witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's It may seem to be witchcraft in a positive sense, not a negative sense, but there's no such thing as a white witch and there's no such thing as good witchcraft. And it leaves out, and this really is the most, absolutely the most important thing I can share, that it leaves out the necessary principles that people must adhere to, to be a success in life. And that's being born again, being forgiven of sin, going to the cross, believing in the resurrection, believing that Jesus became sin for us, surrendering to his authority. No wonder one seminary professor named Donald Whitney said, it is no exaggeration to say that the secret implicitly and sometimes explicitly denies every virt- virtually every major doctrine in the Bible. It's full of half-truths like a statement Rhonda Burns made where she said, you are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. Well, that's not a blanket statement for the whole human race. Born again, children of God are heirs of the kingdom, but they're not masters of the universe. Only God can fulfill that role. So half-truths are all through the secret. Also, I think it's a very dangerous thing that Rhonda Burns made this statement no one will stand in judgment over your life now or ever. Did you hear what I just said? Rhonda Burns declared, no one will stand in judgment of your life now or ever. Yet the Bible says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is my final thing to say. There is a law of attraction, but it's not the one being taught. And it's not the one you'll find in the secret because there are several things that really attract the true and the living God. Number one is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So prayer attracts God. Humility attracts God. 1 Peter 5 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And faith attracts God. Hebrews 11 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there is a way to attract God, but it's not mechanical, it's ethical. It's not the law of attraction as being taught because it's not manipulation, it's a divine connection. It's not sensational, it's relational. It's all about your relationship with God. 
Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.